Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelves. It's your flipper yep yep It's your flipper yep yep If you got a big butt, let me... I was wondering if that was the <laughs> song that you were singing. I just heard somebody doing... Flipper, yipper, yup, yup. <laughs> I don't know the actual words. I don't know if there are actual words. Uh, I was just watching a video. Flipper, flip. Yep. Good old Missy Elliott throwback. Uh, someone, I saw someone who rewrote it as a musical theater song, and it was uh, fucking hilarious. Is this the same guy who did... Um, the Backstreet Boys as a, as a yeah. like musical villain. Yeah, it was it was very like good. That. It was like, uh, yeah, I can't even re, re uh, redo it, but uh, yeah. it was funny. And then I went, ooh, retro. All right, get down with the flipper dipper dip. Flip dip, yep, and twerk your butt and shake it. And hello, everybody, welcome back to Campfire Classics. How's your week been? Having fun? Mine's about to get kind of busy. Living the dream. It is. Yeah, you got some craziness coming up. Like, I'm going to a show tonight for my friend Cassie, and then I'm going, tomorrow I've got rehearsal and interp work, and then Wednesday I'm going to New York to see Bad Cinderella for free. Bad Cinderella. I'm in a group in my gym, because I've talked about my gym on this podcast like 400 times, because I love it. Um... And it's crafters. It was a group we formed during the pandemic. And uh, there's a lot of people in it in the industry in some way. And someone just put a link and they're like, if anyone wants to see Bad Cinderella for $5. So I go to the link and it's not even that the ticket is $5. It is the processing fee. So I grabbed two and I'm going to go with my friend Sasha, who has just got back from Eurovision, uh, representing like not as an act, not as the act, but was there as part of the Ukraine team. and part of like, their, like their media team, yeah, right? Yeah, their media yeah. team. So I'm so excited to see him. I haven't seen him so long. And yeah, I'm just, yeah. And then and then I have more rehearsal and then I start work this weekend. So yeah. And to the marvelous performers in Bad Cinderella, um, oh, yes. I, I actually am genuinely disappointed that <laughs> I don't get shows. to come see it. Because I have a couple of performances. I know that it sounds like the show is not the greatest thing Andrew Lloyd Webber has ever done. the best material done, you've been But I, I actually know a couple of people in the cast oh, who yeah, are both you know incredibly in yeah. talented. And, uh, and everything I've heard is that whatever you may feel about the show at large, the, the people involved, the cast and crew are fucking slaying. Oh, I'm going to uh, go work, and y'all. cheer the fuck on for those actors because all I have all I've heard from the show and I've been kind of following the whole TikTok drama and all the stuff and I'm so sorry y'all found out via playbill you were closing Ugh. that's not cool um but like I, I've just heard that the actors are giving a hundred and like 50 percent every night to like sell 
what little material they've been given. So I'm excited to go and cheer them on and in their last like week of performances. So I and I, I don't have any money, so I'm happy that I get to come and, you know, do it for free. <laughs> so yeah, it's always so now good I'm to- not giving any money to the production team that didn't tell you you were closing. They told Playbill and I get to cheer you on. So support support artists. Yeah. I'm there are so many ways, dear listeners, that you can uh, support the arts and support artists that don't involve money. Yeah. Uh, as this is a testament to, Heather's going to go see the show and not having to shell out the $300 Broadway ticket prices yeah. to do it. Um, that is not always the case. Not everyone has that opportunity. I, not everyone I has the I didn't know hookup. I had that hookup as of yesterday, but I knew it this morning. So... <laughs> Here's the hookup. Here's the way you can help the arts and these two artists in particular without spending any money. Hi. Right now, go ahead and pause this episode and share a link to it to one of your social media platforms. Or when the episode is over, go ahead and tell a friend that this show is weird and And I think you'll enjoy it. I like it. Or leave us a review on like Apple Podcasts or something. Yeah, but these these yeah, are you don't genuinely have to give us any money. These are genuinely <laughs> the best ways to help the podcast out because it does two things. One, the more listeners we have, the more likely we are to have someone who goes, "Oh, these guys are awesome. Let's give them money." But even more importantly, is if you want a good product, the more listens we get every week, the more excited we are to record. Yes. Things have been on a little bit of an upswing yeah. again, which has been great. Yeah, the more we see increasing numbers, the more excited we are to go in depth and to do more research and to bring back old popular bits that you may have loved or just generally make fools of ourselves in the recording studio. In more so, ways. So. so really, truly, uh, if if you can share this with people who you think would enjoy it, uh, that helps us out a ton and it helps you out a little. So be selfish. Well, because karma's this with others. karma's real, y'all. You share campfire classics, you're gonna have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new slogan. Share campfire classics. It'll give you It'll good give karma. You good karma. Yeah. <laughs> support artists gives somehow, you good karma. Somehow That's real, that though. seems even sadder than please support us on Patreon. <laughs> Support Campfire Classics. It's good for your karma. karma. It's true, though. Everyone needs a little good karma here and there. So by supporting artists who are not doing this for the money, but doing it for the love, all we can ask is that you pass us along to your friends. Yes. Go out there and be that karma chameleon. Be the karma, 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 karma chameleon. Do you come and go? (laughs) Because that's rude. Usually I'm the one doing those. Got there. I got there. Oh no, I I I saw it. It just took me a minute to watch your face go, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> You're like, I just had I just I just had a Heather joke. It, it, hey, I started with two of them that were pretty harsh last week. So I, yeah, I decided it That's true. S- sort of what slow roll it, slow burn it, slow, slow, slow slide burn, in. Which is much nicer. Just yeah. give it a little slow roll and give slide in. Give it a little in. slow burn, yeah. slide in, yeah. <laughs> got to um, prep people for what's coming. Oh, yes. And another thing we did this week, we talked with our voice teacher from grad school who is like... Oh, yeah. Okay, so we always say that Agatha Christie was the muse of this podcast, which technically she was, but the, like... 
the whole reason we were ever reading these stories out loud was because of, and I'm going to shout out his damn name, is Scott motherfucking Stackhouse. He was our voice teacher in grad school and our like combat teacher, and he's just a fucking badass. We had like a three-hour conversation with him on Zoom. Yeah. And hey, Scott, it was really great to talk to you. I hope you're you. listening because we told you about this. So uh, what's also, up, bitch? I'm out of bed. <laughs> also, hurry up and finish writing your book so that oh. we can read excerpts of it on the podcast. I cannot <laughs> wait. He's been working on this book forever about like voice work. And he d- basically the the working title when we like were there and he still likes this phrase and I love it is something with fuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh so that was a fun chat, and uh, it was good to catch up with him because he is the co-inspiration slash muse of Campfire Classics. So yeah. what's wouldn't, up? What's we, up, Scott? We wouldn't be doing this without you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a badass. Speaking of what we're doing, um, welcome to Campfire oh, yeah. Classics. As I said, we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Mm-hmm. We cold read short stories that we rip from the annals of public domain. Not and the deliver. annals. I said I do it, it right. I do it every week, though. It's funny because <laughs> you've, you've insisted on annals recently, and it just, I'm a child. Fine. <laughs> we rip from the obscurity of public domain. <laughs> And present it to you, cold red, sight unseen, to the very best of our meager abilities. <laughs> um, and along the way, we usually make a whole bunch of wildly inappropriate jokes because people who wrote stories a long time ago used funny words that now mostly sound like references to human genitalia. Annals. <laughs> Just, I mean, you put it out there. It's Thank fair. You. Yep, you're welcome. I try not to put it out there in public. <laughs> that's that's good because yeah. you know, you you work around children. It's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's that's what we do. We cold read these short stories and uh, sort of play silly. Uh, play silly. We play, we play silly. silly. We play I mean, silly along the way. I mean, we're just here to play silly and give uh, you good karma. So. This week, I have selected a story for Heather to read. Yay. But before we jump into the story, I wanted to read just a few little fun facts to let you know something about our author, since this week, it's a new one. Ooh. So this week's author is a guy named Randall Garrett. Okay. He was born in Missouri in 1927. Missouri? Missouri. And he's best known today as a pulp author who frequently collaborated with other authors. Okay, we're going back to the pulp we're going back sci-fi. To the pulps. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while since we yeah, did a pulp story. I feel like we've been doing well, a lot of the more classics. When you said he was born in 1927, I was like, wow, he either wrote a really good story when he was three or we're going, yeah. we're going uh, pulp. Yep. Uh, so his most loved character is a detective named Lord Darcy. <laughs> Okay, um, the, the I'm Lord, hoping there is a tie to uh, Jane Austen. Not there. really. So okay. the Lord Darcy stories and novels are sort of Sherlock Poirot style whodunits, but they take place in an alternate history um, okay. where um, it is real world history, but magic is also real. Okay, cool. Uh, and cool, cool, cool. while magic often plays a role in the crime, it does not usually play a role in the solution like he was very careful randall garrett was very careful not to sort of cheat the mystery by using magic magic to solve it so it's kind of like a scooby-doo or something where it like it's like a ghost but it's not a ghost in the end it's actually you can explain it but more more to the point it's like a doctor who episode but 
he doesn't just go, I fixed it with the sonic screwdriver. Okay. Like, he actually has to logic and think his okay. way to the solution instead of just, and then I did science <laughs> and then magic. I, I made up some science yeah. that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is super fun, but, um, you know. So I looked into a couple of the Lord Darcy shorts to read for this week, but they're actually fairly long okay. shorts. Okay. Even the short ones are almost novellas. So. Oh, okay. So we'll be skipping those for now, but who knows what may happen in the future. Uh, Randall Garrett was super fond of the nerd life. He was a founding member of the Society for Creative Anachronism, which, for our listeners who may be unfamiliar, is an international living history group with the aim of studying and recreating medieval European cultures. So LARPers? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Okay, yay! Um, they sometimes describe themselves as a group devoted to the Middle Ages as they ought to have been, choosing to selectively recreate the culture, choosing elements of the culture that interest and attract us. Okay. If it helps, you can think of it as an intense and sometimes ridiculous combination of, yes, LARPing, Ren Fair, and Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> Okay, great. So, like, but they've, like, decided to take certain things from it, like the women have rights or, like, maybe. Right. Like they've the, they've like adapted they've, the culture a little as, bit. As it should have To been. be the way yeah. it should we have been. We use real toilets. Um. Uh, well, not, not, not so much that as just, like, <laughs> the things that are interesting they focus yes. on and the things that aren't interesting are sort of, or are sort of historically problematic. They're just like, eh, we're just not going to deal with that. We're just not going to talk about um, that. They hold mock wars, which is where the LARPing, the LARPing thing comes, comes okay. in. Um, Penzik happens every year, and it's still, as far as I know, oh, yeah. Cool. I mean, the, the, the S, SCA is still an organization. It is okay. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. It's still an organization because I've seen LARPers like when, especially when I'm doing like outdoor theater, yeah, and, like at the Shakespeare Theater and stuff. Like, there's always a day or two where there's a group of people just full on LARPing, yeah, yeah. in full costume, yeah. and it's like, yes, and and yeah. So LARPing is a little more if you took what they do and turned it into Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's a little more that this is a little less gamified, um, and like actual, and and a little more like. Historic. A little more of an attempt at historical role play. Okay. It's a little confusing, but yeah. there, there's a lot of that in it. Yeah. Love it. They okay. dress up in armor and swing swords at each other. Great. Yeah. Hundred percent. So he was he was a big fan of this. He helped found that organization. Fun. Um, Garrett was also well known by his friends to love puns, perhaps a little too much. Oh no. Oh, and filthy pickup lines. Oh my god. It's my best friend. <laughs> Many stories about him uh, that circulate are about him using wildly inappropriate pickup lines when he first meets women. Oh, no. One like, of... Like, like genuinely or to, like, disgust them? Because, well, like, no, I have definitely... In, in an attempt to disgust them, usually. Oh, okay. So not to actually pick them up. Okay. I mean... Well, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows what his intentions were? It was the 60s. Um... <laughs> That's very true. One of his classier favorite pickup lines was Koito Ergo Sum. Uh, apparently, at least one well-read woman thought he was merely mispronouncing the popular phrase cogito ergo sum, which is Latin for I think, therefore I am. Uh-huh. 
Um, but it was pointed out to her that he actually intentionally said koito, not kajito. Koito being a, a fake root for coitus. So koito ergo sum, which actually means nothing, would sort of be bastardized Latin for like, I engage in coitus, therefore I am. <laughs> or I bang, therefore I, I am. I bang, therefore I am. Um, and and the, the, this this one woman uh, was horrified once she realized that he, he wasn't was being, just mispronouncing. that he wasn't just an idiot. He was being rude. Um, See, that's that's the thing. Is like it just depends on the woman. Because like I'd be like, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Like, yeah. Like, can you pronounce that again so I can say that to someone in a couple hours? <laughs> Uh, on another occasion, he caused a scene with some of his innuendos that led to an ashtray being overturned on his head. Oh, no. Because, yep. again, it was the 60s, so everyone smoked. Yep. Uh, and no one was safe from these pickup lines. In fact, he frequently hit on obviously very pregnant women. <laughs> See, was, I don't think he was ever actually trying to hit on these people. I think he was just being, like, that guy. Life of the party, this dude. <laughs> like... Uh, although eventually some of these pickup lines must have worked because he was married at least once, possibly as many as three times. Oh, he's pulling a Bessie Ross. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the 1980s, his health started to decline pretty quickly. Um, he was in the hospital for most of the 80s. He died in 1987. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, it is difficult to know exactly how many short stories and novels he wrote because he so often collaborated with other writers and or used pseudonyms, much like a lot of these Pulp Fiction guys, but somewhere between many dozen and hundreds of stories have been credited to him depending on who you talk to exactly which which um, uh, source you which at. source yeah. you're 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 believing yeah uh, so this week you will be reading the story the time snatcher which was <laughs> which was published in imagination stories of science and fantasy in february 1957 and just so you know listeners extensive research has uncovered no evidence of an active copyright let's start this fire let's start it Tampering with the events of the past could bring disastrous results in the future. It was why Breck was given a pair of six guns to catch. The Time Snatcher by Randall Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> so this one has a little prequel thing. So that, yeah, that is above like, the title. So. so a pair of six guns. So that's like a, a six-shooter revolver. I have no idea. I know nothing about guns. So, so so if someone said that's it's I don't know much about guns, yeah. but I know from like cowboy slang. Oh, okay. If someone says a six gun, that's like a six shooter revolver. Okay. So it sounds like so we're dealing got, we're like in like the western. It sounds like we're dealing with a wild west time travel story. I freaking hope so. That's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Alright, that means I get to use my country voice. Oh good. Alright. We're in a hell of a jam, Breck, the counselor said. If Saganir isn't stopped, he'll change history. The situation's desperate. Oh, shit. Oh, no. This is Time Cop. Time Cop. Time Patrolman Breck Halliday nodded in agreement. His name is Breck Halliday. Yes. It was a tense situation. Time travel, he knew, was possible only so long as the traveler into the past did nothing that would change history significantly. 
The time stream itself would straighten out little changes in the past so that overall history would remain the same. All right. That's so real. We're, we're dealing with the paradoxes sort yep. themselves out, by and large. But a big change was something else. If you stick your finger in a river, there are a few ripples around it, but the flow of the river remains the same. If you build a dam, though... Yeah. When is he? Brecht asked. Do we know? Fortunately, yes. He forced one of our operators to use one of the chronokinic projectors and then kidnapped her and took her with him. But he didn't know that the power drain was measurable and had been recorded on the meters. We know how much energy he used, so we know how far into the past he went. We've got him pinpointed in the area of the old United States somewhere between 1880 and 1885. So Hell yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're going we're going back to the future 3 era. Here we go. That's exactly what it is. It's this exact, is back to the future it's, 3. It's isn't it 1885? It is. It's 1885, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're 1880 to 1895. All right. Beautiful. And he kidnapped a girl? Yep. He kidnapped a girl and went back to the old Wild West. That's <laughs> Wee! All right. This you know, is getting... just an awesome adventure. I love that I've given Breck the, like, Western accent, <laughs> but, you know, it works. Who was the girl he kidnapped? Breck asked. The counselor smiled apologetically. Dory Clayton. Her name's Clayton in Back to the Future. Yes, it is. Clayton. Yeah. Clara Clayton. Clara Clayton. <laughs> it's Clayton yeah. Ravine. Yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Somebody read this story when they were younger. Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> did you read did this? Did you steal this story? We're about to find out. Let's see what happens. If they if they uh, hook up a train into a time machine, I'm going to be pissed. Hey, uh, hey, 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 Bobby Z. Bobby um, Z, our, one of our biggest listeners. I'm sure you're listening. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that um, if you call us and tell us that you would like this episode to disappear into the vaults and never see the light of day, we will only charge a paltry, what, $5 million? I would say, like, 5% of Back to the Future 3's uh, residuals. That's fair. Like, That's fair. I'll take it. Like, from the beginning, not from now. Like, from, since, from since, the, since what, it started. Shit, not, not for nothing, but I'd take 5% of their residuals starting a day. Well, yeah, that'd still be pretty <laughs> damn good, uh, even though some people don't like it. I like that one. Um, oh, I'm talking the series, not just Back oh, to the Future okay. 3. Oh, yeah. okay, into and it. Especially, especially with, I'm sure they're bringing in a percentage of the West End slash Broadway musical. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the original music's in it. Like, yeah. the, the theme and everything. da 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 the muscles of Halliday's jaw tightened. Sexy. I see, he said swiftly. When do I leave? We'll prepare you immediately. It's going to be a touchy job to get both of them out of there, so watch yourself. Don't worry, Halliday said quietly. I'll manage. He walked out, eyes hot with rage, thinking of Dory in Saganier's clutches. His hands slowly clenched and unclenched as he headed down the long hall. A time patrolman's first step in any excursion to the past is to learn the language and the history so well that he can pass as a native. 
For three days, Brett Halliday lay in the padded tank of a hypno-robot while information was poured into him. Then he was given his clothes. They cons—I hope it's a pink vest. They consisted of a pair of high-heeled boots made of treated animal skin, a pair of tight trousers woven of blue dye vegetable fiber, a shirt of similar material, and a broad-brimmed hat. Cowboy boots, yeah. jeans, denim shirt. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Other clothing and equipment went into a pack, and a money belt around Breck's waist carried gold coins that not even an expert could have told from the originals. All right. See, they didn't think about that shit during Back to the Future. Giving him uh, period-appropriate <laughs> yeah. money or any sort of or, education or on education. the period. He just showed up. He's like, yeah. I've seen a clean, Clint Eastwood movie. Sure. And in that pink vest and stuff. It's like, all right. The thing that Breck liked best was the fact that he would be allowed to carry weapons openly. <laughs> This oh no! Oh no! You're giving the angry, angry white dude two guns. This is not a good situation. All right. Some civilizations of the past didn't permit a citizen to carry guns. Well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but there, but where Brecht was going, I keep calling him Brecht. His name's Breck. Where, where Bre- Bertold was going. Where Bertold Breck was going. <laughs> But where Breck was... There's a scary thought. Bertold Breck with a pair of pistols. And a time machine. <laughs> Woo! But where Breck was going, a man with a pair of six guns at his hips wouldn't look odd at all. All right. So he's going to Florida. <laughs> oh, shit. Or Missouri, I guess. <laughs> Breck had ridden a horse three times. Once in the Battle of Agincourt. Oh, well, damn. (laughs) So I guess he traveled to that. Once at Chickamauga, and once during a trip from Rome to Ravinia in the 6th century. His fourth horse was saddled a little differently, but he found it easy to handle. He trotted in onto the platform and signaled the operator. There was a brief hum as the cryokinic projector warmed up. Then there was a sudden surge of power. Oh, that's a, there's a cool little picture. Yeah, here. it's like he's like it's like a platform. It, it's very uh, Star Wars or Star Trek. It's very Star Trek, but it's it also it looks like um, in the Doctor Who episode where uh, Donna has the creepy thing on her back. Oh yeah, the like they, the they, cockroachy thing. Yeah, and they surround her with mirrors yes. so that she can. Oh yeah. See the creature, but then they also use that to send her back in time. That is what that's it looks what like. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Breck's surroundings seemed to vanish into grayness. Moments later, light swirled around him. Plata City, New Mexico, was enjoying a warm, lazy summer day. No one paid much attention to the stranger who came into town on a very ordinary-looking... Cayuse. Cayuse? Horse? Yeah. (laughs) I've never seen that word used. Love it. Cayuse, everyone. That's the word of the day. Use it in a sentence today and I, confuse people. I, I learned it because I was uh, working on the song um, Don't Fence Me In. Yes, don't fence me yeah. in. Uh, on my Cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I reach the western sky. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, on my Cayuse. On my All horse. Right. On my Cayuse, everyone. Not on your caboose, but on your cayuse. 
I'm pretty sure that song is old enough that I'm allowed to sing as much of it as I want without fear of copyright. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is definitely in... I'm pr- Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a 1920s yeah. like or before song. All right, Caillou's Caboose. He's riding in on his caboose on a very ordinary-looking Caillou's and pulled up before the... Casa Loma Saloon. Yay, there's a saloon. This is so right. <laughs> there's always a saloon. If there's not a saloon in a Western, it's like, it's what not fucking a town am I in? It's not yeah. actually a Western. Pulled up before the Casa Loma Saloon and dismounted. He hitched his horse to the rail, looked up and down the street casually, and then strode into the saloon. What'll it be, mister? Asked the fat, mustachioed bartender. Good. I have a policy in fiction. <laughs> if the bartender slash innkeeper is fat, I trust them. If they are skinny, I don't. It's true, yeah. Because you like you want that saloon to have some good food mm-hmm. with its whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey, Breck said. And a little cold beer to follow it. That road from El Paso is hot. The barman filled the order. El Paso, eh? That's a right smart ride. Been on the road long? About a week. I don't believe in rushing nothing. Oh, 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 I'll Breck. Breck, you naughty little boy. (laughs) Hey, barkeep, yelled someone down at the far end. The bartender went, and Breck downed his whiskey. He sipped the beer reflectively, thinking long and hard. And taking his time. John Saganier had been convicted once for illegal use of a time machine and had been sentenced to 10 years on Luna. Somehow, he managed to escape and, by bluff and daring, actually get control of a time patrol chronokinic projector long enough to use it and kidnap the operator, Dory Clayton. It was bad enough to use the time machine, Breck thought darkly. But to take Dory... Oh, I think Dory's his girl. Dory's his girl. Breck clenched his fists for kidnapping Dory. Saganier would take his punishment from Breck, not the law. This time it's personal. This time it's personal, bitch. The first thing to do was find him. Reading the power flow of a chronokinetic projector, chronokinetic, what have I been saying? Chronokinetic? Chronokinetic. <laughs> Chronokinetic is what it's supposed what to be. It I don't think it's what you've been saying. I, I have been. Writing, <laughs> reading the power flow of a chronokinetic projector could only give an approximate location. Saganier had landed within 50 miles of this spot, and at some time within the past five years. But where was he now? And Brecht asked himself, did he have Dory with him? Five years is a long time. In the course of a year or two, Saganier could be a long way from Plata City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, all they have is horses. So well, I mean, by the 1880s, we got trains. Oh shit. Like he could two years. He could be in Paris. Yeah. Like. All right, yeah. But Breck had a hut. But Breck had a hunch that this was his goal. He didn't know he could be traced, and he wasn't prepared for travel. But. Suddenly, a finger tapped his shoulder, and he whirled in surprise. He saw a man wearing a big silver star prominently on his vest. And here's the marshal. Stranger, you have to shuck them irons. City ordinance says a man can't carry pistols inside the city limits. 
I kind of gave him a lisp. It's, it's a bit of the the what um, uh, Holly Hunter, Jodie Foster sort yeah, of. It's, yeah, it's, it's that like, sort of the. Like, I noticed I ain't the only one with a full gun belt, Breck said slowly. The man's eyes narrowed. Damn happens to be John Shagger's man, mister, and they all happen to be deputies. His pistol came out suddenly. Oh, no. Put in your pants. <laughs> we just talked about how you don't just take your pistol out. It's not Whip It Out Wednesday. It's not Whip It Out Wednesday. It is more it's Caution in, Monday. It's Tuck It In Tuesday. It's Tuck It In Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> His pistol came out suddenly. I'm ordering you take him off. Rex shrugged and unbuckled the belt. I think the sheriff's getting drunker and drunker. <laughs> he had a couple. Every time he, he speaks, a couple, he, I need to take him off. <laughs> he had a shot of whiskey, too, before he came over and talked to him, so they're just hitting him. I ain't looking for an argument, he said, handing the gun belt to the sheriff. But as the sheriff reached for the belt, Breck lashed out with one hand, slapping the other's weapon aside. It skittered across the floor as Breck jerked one of his own guns from the belt and sent the sheriff reeling backward with a blow to his chest. Several of the other armed men started to reach for their hips, but Breck's icy voice stopped them short. First man to touch a gun gets lead. <laughs> well, damn. That escalated very quickly. Yeah. I have a feeling... Breck has anger issues. That's what Breck I Breck has anger feeling. issues, but I also think he just saw, what's his face, Saganir. I think he just didn't want his guns taken away. That too. <laughs> feel like this guy's a little Charlton Hestony. First man to touch a gun gets lead. The sheriff's face grew red. You've got trouble, stranger. Maybe, but them guns is mine. You're trying to buck the law, said the sheriff. Breck grinned. It's a damn fool law that needs so many men to enforce it. If you was the only one packing irons, I might be persuaded to give them to the barkeep here. But as long as everybody is carrying full holsters, holsters, but as long as everybody's carrying full holsters, I reckon I don't want to be out of style. I'd look too conspicuous. <laughs> I mean... That's a subtle argument. I that's, like that. That's a, that's, a, that's a nice... He's like, I don't want to be out of fashion. That would just be wrong. As he flips his hair. Still holding his weapon, he buckled on his belt and walked over where the sheriff's gun had fallen. Without taking his eyes off anyone in the room, he squatted and picked it up. Then he walked back to the sheriff and shoved the six gun in the lawman's holster. Don't aim to caught. Don't aim to cause no trouble, Sheriff. If you and the rest of these gents will oblige me, I'll ask the barkeep to set us all up a drink. <laughs> there was a moment of silence, and then the Sheriff grinned. Yeah, reckon I'll take some whiskey. Brett grinned back and put his weapon in its sheath. It was almost a mistake. As soon as his hand went well away from the gun butt, <laughs> what's a gun butt? <laughs> the the I know, <laughs> just gun butt, and it's spelled like butt, like it's a butt, because <laughs> yeah. it's on the back of the gun. Yeah, you pat it, you pinch it, give it a little smack to let it know you appreciate Make what sure it's doing you keep, for you. Keep it clean, you know. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. <laughs> No one likes a dirty gun butt. <laughs> nah. 
We hate a dirty butt. Yeah. As soon as his hands went well away from the gun butt, one of the men at the bar snatched his six-gun and brought it up to fire. Well, damn, this shit escalating quickly. He's like, I just, guys, I just want to sit at the bar and drink, which never happens in a Western. Just trying to get it. Well, this now, see, now we have, we've hit, it's the scene in Three Amigos where the Germans walk into the bar. (laughs) Yes. Hey, look at the two little sissies. (laughs) That's such a good movie. It's a great movie. I want to watch Three Amigos. That's come up a few times this week. We should watch Three Amigos. Okay. No ordinary man with ordinary guns could have moved fast enough to do anything. But Breck was no ordinary man, and his weapons were far from ordinary. (laughs) All men think that. Both man and gun... Both man and guns were the product of a science far in advance of the 19th century. Breck's hands blurred, and his weapons seemed to leap from their holsters as the little robot mechanisms secreted in their butts. Butts secreting robots? Ew, robot butt secretions. See, that was not... Okay, knowing the backstory of this author... He did not write that on accident. He wrote secreted in their butts on purpose. He knows it's about the butt of a gun, but like he put the image of secretions in your butt in in everyone's mind. I think it's probably secreted. Oh shit. (laughs) It definitely is. Um, I read secreted. Is it spelled the same? It's spelled the same. Secreted and secreted? Uh, Yes. They are spelled the same? That is how you would spell secreted. That's amazing. As in, um, As in, to produce or discharge <laughs> from a gland or organ. <laughs> See? <laughs> Context matters, everybody. Context matters. So the little robot mechanisms were secreted Secreting, from the butt. Secreted in their butts and responded to electroneural commands of their owner. Whoa. <laughs> Electro-neural robot secretions. Yeah. You thought those little, like, uh, ro- uh, remote vibrators were fun. <laughs> now you've got electro-neural commands. You just have to think. <laughs> That's like fucking Bruce Almighty. That's like the Bruce Almighty scene where he comes and he's like, pleasure. <laughs> if you think it, they will come. If you think, yeah, exactly. There you go. That's the tagline for the, the vibrator. <laughs> All right, y'all. Trademark, trademark. Okay. Let's go back and not secrete in their butts, but secret it in their butts. All right? Don't cut all that, because that was gold. (laughs) I'll probably have to trim some timing. Maybe, but... but (laughs) Breck's hands blurred, and his weapons seemed to leap from their holsters as the little robot mechanism secreted in their butts responded to the electroneural commands of their owner. It's still pretty funny. There was a roar of sound as one of the guns spoke. Of course it's still pretty funny. The words (laughs) in their butts still... It's still in the sentence. (laughs) The gunman's weapon seemed to vanish from his hand. It sailed across the room, banged against the wall, and dropped to the floor. Breck had no compunction against killing a man, particularly in self-defense, but the death of one man might conceivably make radical changes in the future. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. 
As the echoes of the gunshot died away, the gunman howled with pain. The shock of Breck's bullet against the gun had sent needles of pain racing up his arm. Well, maybe you shouldn't name your gun as someone, don't jackass. Don't shoot at people if you don't want to get shot <laughs> back at. Come on, people. The room was silent. Then the sheriff walked over to the gunman, who was massaging his aching, numbing fingers, and grabbed him by the shirt collar. He's like, bitch, I was about to get a gun. I was about to get a drink. He's, he said softly, When I agree to take a drink from a man, I don't take it lightly when one of my deputies tries to shoot him. So that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. he said. I was just going to get some free whiskey. What the asshole. fuck you doing? Do not come between a man and his booze. <laughs> it's, especially, especially in a western. Especially in the wild west. Yeah. It's a good way to it's, die. It's like how they like hydrate. <laughs> I figured you'd... Uh, what's this guy's voice going to I figured you'd want to take him after what he had done, the man said sullenly. If I had, I'd have done my own gunslinging. He reached out and yanked the small metal star off the man's vest. You ain't a zeppity no more. And I catch you wearing guns, I'll run you in or shoot you whatever's handiest. Damn, the man just got demoted for yep. taking whiskey from the sheriff. See, uh, life no, lessons. No better reason for a demotion life lessons. than depriving your boss of whiskey. Of whiskey. <laughs> Still holding his injured hand, the man turned and walked out of the saloon. The sheriff turned back to Breck. There was some mighty fine, fast, and accurate shooting, son. What did you say your name was? I didn't say yet, Breck said, reholstering his weapons. But as a matter of fact, it's Ed Calhoun. As I said, I don't want to cause no trouble, but I'm glad to oblige them that comes looking for it. He laid a $10 gold piece on the bar. Here's an eagle barkeep. Let's have them drinks. One of the other men at the bar looked quizzically at the sheriff. Sheriff, maybe you would ought to... Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming this is the doctor. Sure. Sheriff, maybe you ought to... Well, no. Sheriff, maybe you had not to have done that to Cactus. How's the boss gonna take it? Why is there always a guy with a stupid-ass name like Cactus? Cactus. Well, he just got fired because he's got a stupid-ass name. Because <laughs> his but parents weren't too smart. <laughs> well, it's all... Like, I know it's always a nickname, but there's always one that's like... Well, oh, he, oh, don't mind him. That's cactus, or don't mind him. That's, that's thistle bottom, or thistle butt. Don't don't mind or him. That's, that's lily mustard pad seed. Or, that's mustard seed. The the stupid fairy in uh, oh, Midsummer. Oh, so it's so it's Shakespeare's fault. Yeah. Well, yes, Shakespeare started everything. <laughs> Damn you, Shakespeare. Fucking mustard seed. <laughs> the sheriff looked at him for a moment. Then he looked at the others. Let's take one thing straight here. John Sager's an important man hereabouts, and I don't deny it. He needs good gunslingers to guard his property, and I'm only too glad to deputize him. But by the Almighty, if a man don't behave himself, if he ain't to be trusted with a gun, then he ain't gonna wear a badge as long as I'm sheriff. He turned to Breck. I gotta uphold the law. I, I, I gotta uphold the law, son. I asked you to turn them guns in, and you wouldn't do it. I'm damned if I'm going to try and take them away, so there's only one thing to do. He handed Breck the star that he had taken from Cactus. 
Hold up your right hand, he said. <laughs> Bo Breck's kicking ass. He walked into the first thing, and now he's already a fucking deputy of this town. <laughs> um, also, we know that John Sager is definitely Saganeer. Saganeer, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. already put that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he 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 didn't he didn't uh, he didn't strain any brain cells coming he, up with that suit. No, he did not. <laughs> of course, he didn't think anyone was chasing him. No. So, I like that this guy strolls into town. The sheriff tries to arrest him. He starts Whacked a fight, with the and sheriff. so the sheriff the sheriff says, "Well, I was gonna arrest you, but you're real good at crime, so instead I'm gonna promote you." Welcome to the team, brah. <laughs> Half an hour later, Breck found himself sitting at a table, drinking beer and talking with the sheriff and a man named Chuck. There's always a man named Chuck. He'd answered questions about his past with the purely fictitious data he'd received from the hypno-robot, but all the time his mind had been on the man who was an important man hereabouts, John Sager. Sager. Saganeer. It could be the same man. By the way, Sheriff, who is John Sager? Owns the bank, the Sheriff said. Guy's property up in Chloride Flats, too. That's the silver mine district, you know. Bought out a couple of men who was failing in business and then put them to work managing their own stores for him. People around here have a right smart respect for him. Friendly sort of fellow, eh? Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. He, <laughs> he treats people well, gives money to the church and school, gives a man a job if he's down and out, but I wouldn't say he's a likable man personally. He's odd, said Chuck. A real queer one. Me, I don't know why this guy's from New York. Hey, where you from, buddy? <laughs> Chuck's from New York. Maybe I shouldn't say it because I work for him and he's done real proper by me, but, well, he's a funny one. Breck raised an eyebrow. Yeah? How? Well, for one thing, he seems so, well, cold, like he was a sidewinder or a rattlesnake waiting for a pack rat to come by. He always seems to be figuring, calculating. He don't smile much, and when he does... It don't look right on him. If any accent of his don't help none, the sheriff chimed in. It ain't that he can't speak good English, but it sounds funny the way he says it. <laughs> Which is funny oh, coming the irony. out of that man's mouth. Tell me more, old timey <laughs> prospector. <laughs> the way I have to get into that voice is pretend I have no teeth. <laughs> and I've had a few whiskeys. Been here very long, Brecht asked casually. About three years is all. Done right by himself, considering he didn't have much when he came. Chuck said, after being robbed and... No, fuck. After being robbed and all, it's a caution how he done so well. Then he laughed. <laughs> it was downright funny when you come to think of it. Yeah, the sheriff said, grinning. Him and his sister showed up one night naked as daybirds. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oops. <laughs> a couple of owl hoots had robbed him and stripped him of everything they had. No horse, no clothes, no nothing. He was lucky in a way, though. 
He had a money belt on him that he managed to hide in the mesquite bush where the bandits was looking. He hid it in his mesquite bush, y'all. <laughs> wow, there is a euphemism I've not heard before. <laughs> I was sitting in my office that night when I heard a knock at the back door. I opened it, and there was John Sager, all dressed up in his birthday suit and nothing else. Of course, I didn't know who he was. Breck listened closely to the sheriff's story. It all fits in. Sagamere didn't have time to prepare himself for this era. His speech was strange and his clothes even stranger, so he'd taken off his clothes and pretended to have been robbed. And his sister? What's his sister like? He asked. Pretty, Chuck said, but she's not too bright. Goes around in a daze most of the time. Hypnotized, Brett thought. That settled it. <laughs> Apparently you can hypnotize people too. Yeah. Alright, we go. Dun well, dun. Better better than pretty, but not too bright. Yeah, that's Dory. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Dory. <laughs> 24 hours later, Breck had all the information he needed. Saganir had a double plot in mind, one which would both set him up permanently and at the same time eliminate any danger from the time patrol. Saganir knew, of course, where the great silver vein was at the chloride flats. It wasn't due to the it wasn't due to be discovered until 1973. But if Sagier found it, he'd not only be a rich man, he would so change history that the time patrol would be unable to reach him. He would divert the time stream radically by the discovery of such a vast amount of silver. Breck had presumably spent the night at the Murray Hotel, but he had actually slipped out of his room unseen and made an excursion on foot up Palo Alto Mountain to the big house Sagir had erected there. <laughs> Sagir erected his house right there on the mountain. Yeah, well, you know, always creating big erections. You gotta, I mean, it's compensating for something, ain't it? <laughs> we don't know what happens to men in the future. And it's possible their bushes are less mesquite. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. Let's. I hope. I hope we find out. I hope. I hope he goes into detail about that. <laughs> seems seems probable. It was tightly guarded. There would be no chance of getting in there without creating a major disturbance. Cautiously, he crept completely around the house, looking for a break in the guard network. There wasn't any. So, is the title of the episode A Tightly Guarded Erection? <laughs> Possibly. Hold on to that. Hold on to that thought. In order to get inside, he'd have to get himself invited in. But how? He returned to the hotel, headed from there to the Casa Loma, and was sitting in the bar drinking beer, mulling over the problem when Chuck came in. It's always a good thing to go back to the bar and uh, have a beer and mull over your problems. I can't solve this problem. I think I'm going to have to sit and have a drink about I'm it. going to have to drink some more. Ed, the slim man said softly, it ain't really none of my business, but I thought you ought to know that Cactus is gunning for you. Thanks, Chuck, Breck said as Chuck walked over to the other end of the bar as if not wanting to be seen with Breck. It was easy to see what had happened. 
Cactus had told Sagger, Saganeer, what had happened in the bar yesterday, including, no doubt, the story about the blinding draw from the hip. Sagger probably suspected that Breck was a time patrolman and had sent Cactus to shoot him. Breck moistened his lips, got up, and dropped a coin on the bar. Then he tipped his hat to Chuck and pushed his way through the bat wings. <laughs> bat wings! Heading for Sagger's bank. He knew the game. Sagger didn't care whether Cactus got killed or not. What he wanted to do was watch Breck's gun work, which would give him away as a patrolman if he depended on the robot pistols. Breck would have to take a chance. He reached down and turned off the robot armament. All he had now was a pair of ordinary pistols. Overhead, the noonday sun was coming down strong and hard, and he began to sweat. Casually, he sauntered down the wide, unpaved street towards the bank. There were a few people strolling idly in the other direction. He moved up against the row of shops, looking in all directions. No sign of cactus. He frowned. Breck knew of Cactus's fear of his lightning draw and suspected that Cactus would try an ambush. Breck glanced uneasily across the street over at Bishop's livery, where a cowpoke was hitching his reins to the rail. It wasn't Cactus. Then suddenly, a gun spoke. Breck felt a hot bolt of lead blast its way into his arm. Ouch! Fuck! <laughs> and he staggered dizzily. He glanced up as he struggled to regain his balance and saw gun smoke drifting out an open window on the second floor of Sagger's bank. Cactus, he thought. He leaped back as another bullet raked the dirt near him. His left arm was warm with his own blood. God, the Wild West was fucking wild. <laughs> well, there's a reason they called it that. It's just like, you're just walking down the street, it's like, boom. Bang. Fuck. Fuck, man. <laughs> I mean... Let's be, never mind, I'm not going to go political. Uh, the, the street was silent. Breck leaned against the cool glass of a shop window, waiting, holding his breath. In a few minutes, a head peered cautiously out the second-story window. Breck tugged at his gun. It seemed to take forever to get it out with the robot armament shut off, and fired once. A man tumbled out the window, bounced off the awning in front of the building, and dropped heavily to the ground. He lay still. Breck mopped the blood from his arm. His head was starting to swim with pain and new worries assailed him. He'd killed a man now. Would it change the past? Would he ever reach Dory again? He didn't know. All he knew was the blinding pain in his arm. Apparently he's a pretty good shot even without the... Um, well, he got trained. Without like the, the robot secretions. The hypno... <laughs> Well, the robot secretions in the butt kind of, you know, like, they just they just help. They just make you faster, not a better shot. <laughs> All right, so now he's in blinding pain, and he's kind of passing out a little bit. He was in fairly good repair an hour later, though the arm still throbbed a bit. He'd taken it to the local doctor. Sagonier would be suspicious if he'd used quick heel on it. He stood in front of the Murray Hotel, methodically packing his few belongings into his saddlebags. Chuck walked up. Ed, the boss would like to see you. Sagger. Sagger, what does he want? Wants to apologize for what Cactus done. 
He fired Cactus as soon as he heard about the run-in with the sheriff, so he wants you to know he ain't responsible. Cactus had no business laying for you from the bank window. Breck shrugged. Might as well go, he said. I never figured Sagger was behind it anyway. There he goes. He got himself invited <laughs> in. He headed to the bank. Sagger was sitting behind his desk, flanked by a couple of his gunmen. He was a lean, long-nosed man with cold eyes and a narrow, thin-lipped mouth. You are Ed Calhoun. I guess he's got a weird accent. Yep. Breck, know, Breck, British. British. One of those weird ones. <laughs> One of those weird accents. Breck nodded. I want you to know that I'm very sorry for what my ex-employee did. I do not like that he did that sort of thing. Sagger's speech was stiff and formal. Yeah. Breck noted. There it is. I figured he was on his own, he said easily. I didn't know of nothing you might have against me. There is nothing, I assure you. I understand you are leaving Plata City. Yep, I'm headed for Arizona, cattle country. I'm a cowman by trade. You are also a very good man with a gun. I need men like you. How would you like to work for me? It had worked, Breck thought exultantly. Pretending to be about to leave town had removed all suspicion from Saganir's mind. Why, well, I reckon I might stay if the pay was good, Breck said thoughtfully. Long as a man makes a living, it don't matter what he does. I will make it worth your while, Mr. Calhoun. Breck took his breath in sharply, fighting the temptation to shoot Sagger where he sat. It would eradicate one considerable blotch on the human race, but it would also involve killing others, and it still wouldn't get Dory out of the house. Reckon I'll listen to your proposition anyhow, Mr. Sagger. It was three days before Breck was asked to come up to the house. He knew his time was running low. If Sagger actually started mining operations on his property, his death or disappearance wouldn't stop it. Someone else would find the great silver vein and the time stream would be unalterably diverted, causing incalculable change to the world of the future. Breck's opening was a lucky one. A prowler had been caught. A Mexican itinerant had been shot by a guard. It had apparently scared Sagger, who probably suspected the Mexican might have been the time patrolman, so he had decided to increase the guard around his house. Breck was called from his bank duties and taken up Palo Alto Mountain to the Sagger mansion. His job was to patrol the grounds. That evening, as dusk fell, Breck strolled around the grounds, going from one of the posted guards to another. Sam, it's me, Ed. Howdy, Ed. See anything? Not a thing. You? Nope. I think the boss is just jumpy. <laughs> Breck poured tobacco into a cigarette paper, rolled it deftly, and put it in his mouth. Got a light, Sam? Sure. As the guard struck the match, Breck leaned forward to light the cigarette, and at the same time, he put his hand on the other's shoulder. Automatically, a little device in his palm silently and painlessly injected hypnotine into the man's bloodstream. <laughs> oh, shit, now he's going to go put all the guards to sleep. He's going Yep. After a moment, Breck said, How do you feel, Sam? Sam blinked slowly. Just fine. <laughs> You'll do anything I tell you, won't you, Sam? Why, sure, Ed. Whatever you say. Breck grinned savagely. You won't hear any noise from the house. 
No noise from the house, Sam agreed. No matter what happens, you won't hear anything out of the ordinary or see anything out of the ordinary. This will seem just like any other night to you. Under the influence of the drug, Sam nodded in agreement. And you won't remember what I just said. All you remember is that I bummed a light and went on. Again, Sam nodded. Well, so long, Sam. So long, Ed, said Sam tonelessly. <laughs> so he's not knocking them out. He's hypnotizing he's them. He's hypnotizing them. Well, he said it's, it was called hypnotone. Hypnotine or yeah, something. Hypnotine yeah, hypnotine or, yeah. The same process with variations was repeated with the rest of the guards. When he was finished, Breck fired his gun into the air and strode boldly up to the front door. He rapped. Who is there? asked a voice within. Ed Calhoun, boss. We just killed another prowler. You want to take a look at him? A pause. Then, are you sure he is dead? Bullet through the head, Breck said. What does he look like? Ordinary. The door opened and Sagger stepped straight into a right uppercut, which bowled him back through the opening. Breck charged in after him, but the man lay limp, his eyes closed. Breck stood over him for a moment, debating what to do. Then he heard footsteps on the stairway. Dory. She stared at him, no recognition in her eyes. A chill of horror ran through him as he saw what Dory had become. Who are you? Her voice was dull and uncaring. He walked over to her and looked at her eyes. Burning fury rose in him. Using hyperteen, Saganir had made Dory only the shell of the girl he had loved. No! Who are you? She asked again. I do not know you. You once did, he said tightly. You... He felt a sudden blow on the back of his neck and his knees sagged. Sagger had been feigning unconsciousness and now had returned to the struggle at the moment when Breck was unprepared. A fist smashed into his side and he ducked away, blinking away the pain. He turned and advanced towards Saganir while Dory moaned wordlessly in the corner. Saganir jumped forward and dove a fist towards Breck's jaw, but Breck countered and felt knuckles crash through the time jumper's teeth. As Saganir rocked, Breck hit him below the heart, and he grunted and folded up. This time, Breck made sure of the job. He continued pummeling Saganir's senseless body until he was out of breath, and then he stood up and looked at Dory. She was huddled helplessly in a chair, sobbing in terror. Breck scowled as he remembered the girl he'd once known and gave the unconscious form of Saganir's another kick. <laughs> kick him while he's down, that bitch. You know, they always say don't kick a man when he's down, but here's the thing. That's the easiest time to do it. Kick him right in the right in his mesquite bush. <laughs> <laughs> That'll keep him down. Alright, so kick da 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 Rex scowled as he remembered the girl he had once known and gave the unconscious form of Saganir another kick. Then he slid his gun out of its holster and pressed a button on the underside of the robot gun belt. The time scoop closed around the three of them. When the grayness cleared away, Breck stumbled out of the time scoop and saw the counselor waiting for him, smiling. He shook his head to clear it. Here I am, he said, and here's your time snatcher. Mission accomplished, sir. Very fine job, Breck, very fine. 
Breck looked at the counselor. There's only one problem, though. The girl, Dory. He saw the counselor blink apprehensively. Oh, I brought her back all right, he said quickly, but but she's been very badly treated, sir. I don't know if the damage Saganir's done to her mind can ever be repaired. I... The counselor's eyes widened. What are you talking about, Breck? What has happened to Dory? I'm afraid I don't understand what you mean. Why, she's right here, unconscious, in the back of the time scoop, Breck said, puzzled. And he turned to find the girl. Why, she isn't here. Of course not, said the chancellor. She's been right here all the time. Where else should she be? Dimly, Breck began to realize what had happened. Some act of his, the shooting of Cactus, perhaps, had altered the future, his present, ever so slightly, just enough so that in this present, Saganir had gone back alone, without Dory. A door opened, and a girl stepped out, clad in a white lab smock. Her eyes were bright and clear, and when she saw Breck, she gave a little scream of joy. Then Breck folded her into his arms. The end. And it all resolved fortuitously ever after. I wonder why killing Cactus changed that. <laughs> like, that one little thing somehow altered his timeline that much, or her timeline that much. Little ripples. Little ripples, yeah. Little ripples, little, you never know. Little ripples make waves, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of dialects that uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I like a good time travel story. I knew there was gonna it was going to be a Western, so I just kind of was like, well, here we go. And then we're gonna we, lean we ended it. up with a Brooklyn guy and a British and guy. A British guy. And, you know, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> uh, that was fun. Yeah. That was fun. That was very, like, classic, like, Western, like, time travel... Yeah. Um, Solidly felt, written. Good job, Randall Garrett. Yeah, very good job, Randall Garrett. It felt very much like the uh, the episode of Doctor Who when they go to the Wild West. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Randall. You wrote a good story. Good, good, good story with some whiskey and and some gunslinging and some uh, funny funny innuendos and a uh, uh, good old good old happy ending. Yeah. So I think tonight I'm going to drink some whiskey and watch a Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, okay. I'm going to go watch Jane Eyre. (laughs) I might go watch the opposite of a Clint Eastwood movie tonight. I'm going to go watch an all-female production of Jane Eyre. Yes. So, uh, the opposite of this story. But, you know, a good story is a good story. I like that there was a happy ending. Yeah. it was. It's like at the end of a Doctor Who episode when they're like, and everybody lived. It just Except sort of worked cactus. out. Except cactus. Cactus sucks, though. Yeah, we didn't like it. But, but killing Cactus made Dory okay. Yeah. So it actually ended up being the right thing. Mm-hmm. Cactus was a twat knocker anyway. Saganer ends up in jail. Saganer's uh, locked up. Hopefully for good this time. Yeah. Or we're going to get another adventure. And uh, Dory and Breck are living happily ever after. Maybe I'll, I'll look and see if there are any other uh, Breck stories. Oh, yeah, because he seems like he'd be a reoccurring, like he's a time pat- uh, a patrolman. Be a fun sort of Flash Gordon type yeah, character. Yeah, It's like, my name's Breck. And he always sort of has a southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> like he is a time uh, 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 time cowboy. He's essentially Jack Harkness. Yeah, yeah. He's like the American. Yeah. He's like, welcome to my, welcome to my time travel patrol show. <laughs> like, 
Ah, yes. Hey, listener, did you enjoy that story? Did you like uh, Randall Garrett? What did you think of his writing style? Did you like Heather's dialect work? <laughs> That's always exciting. It's always, at least there were no French people. There were no French people. There were no obviously French people, so I did not go there. <laughs> hey, if you could go back in time to Ooh. any period, what time would it be? And what would you do while you were there? I've I'd thought be, about I'd be, that a lot. I'd be curious. So uh, write into 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or message us on any of those social medias at Campfire at Campfire Classics Podcast and let us know uh, what you think about that. And remember, where you travel, you can't change history. Yeah, no changing so, things. So there's none of that, like, I'd go back and kill Hitler. You can't, like, because that yeah. would quite literally, I mean, yes, it, things... Many people would live and everything, but you can't because that would change. That would fundamentally change history. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you can go back and experience history, but you cannot change something. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's a very solid rule. Or Breck's gonna come and get you. Or Breck's gonna come for you. <laughs> well, it's that thing, right? It's it's why in um, in shows like Doctor Who mm-hmm. and other time travel shows, you're not allowed to go back and change anything that might affect your own timeline. Yeah. Because if you go back for the purpose of changing something in your own timeline, then that thing never happened. So when you get there next time, there's no reason for you to go, you back, go back. So you can't go back to change it. It's a wibbly wobbly timey wimey loop of what? What do you call? It? What was the time loop last night that he talked about? The bootstrap paradox. The bootstrap paradox. Yeah. yeah. You can't. Which like, is which is a different kind it's a different of different kind of loop, but it's a it's a similar like a similar thing. It's like if you do this, then it's, does it's, this ever happen? It's so. it's a it's a causal loop instead of a causal paradox. Yeah. 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 So fun. I love time travel fun. Yeah. yeah it's great. So uh, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Oh, hey. And um, if you uh, if you do write in to tell us what you thought of the episode or what your feelings on uh, on time travel are, um, please include this week's secret passcode, which is Caboose Cayuse. Caboose Cayuse. <laughs> I want to write a country song about the Caboose Cayuse. It's All a, right. It's a, it's a country song about a horse butt. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> Cayuse Caboose and the tightly guarded mesquite bush. It can tie back to the Missy Elliott song. It's like the yeah, the the fur Cayuse Caboose. The your flick over the Caboose. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I started with twerking while you work it, so now we're caboose cayusing. <laughs> twerk, twerkus cay. <laughs> you twerk that cayuse caboose. You twerk that cayuse caboose. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We gone off the deep end. I think it's time to go. <laughs> I think that makes it time to wrap. So uh, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I like Kai Yuskabus, I cannot lie. You almost can't deny. <laughs>